Welcome to How We Win. All over the world, people are doing extraordinary things, and action is the best antidote for anxiety. Today, as we continue to be horrified by Putin's war on the Ukraine and inspired by the Ukrainian and Russian resistance, we're going to focus on how we get our information, what messages get through to voters, and how we fight against propaganda and lies. Joining us to explain how the media landscape has changed is someone who has been successfully fighting fake news and is building a new media infrastructure for the truth, founder of Good Information, Inc., Courier Newsroom, and acronym Tara McGowan. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We Win. Win. You had a busy weekend. California... Democratic Party convention. Super busy weekend. Uh, The California Democratic Party had their convention over the weekend. Unfortunately, it was still remote, almost, Mm. almost in person. They had booked uh, the convention center in Los Angeles, but because of the rise in cases, had made the, uh, I think, wise decision to to stick with virtual. Maybe we could have done it in person after all, but it was the right decision to make. A lot of arguing among Democrats for platform uh, and ideas and ultimately uh, setting up the most progressive platform by far in the state and um, uh, setting us up in a position for us to really work together to win in the midterms. It was an endorsing convention, so we endorsed our statewide candidates and it's uh, it's exciting. I, I'm really fired up and, and ready to go. As you know, I chair our organizing committee. I'm one of the lead chairs of our organizing committee. And, uh, and there's just so much great knowledge and passion and new ideas for how we're going to reach out to voters, uh, relational organizing, voter mentorship programs that we're implementing and scaling all over the state. It's really exciting. So I hope that this is a model for how we organize nationwide. How exciting. I love a good progressive platform. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, in Texas, a judge had to stop our governor from investigating the parents of transgender children from child abuse. But that is a whole other thing. And you you moved. You know, that was your choice. Like that (laughs) progressive platform. So, yeah, with some work to do here. I moved and I'm ready to do the work. That's bold and, and admirable. Anyway. Um, let's talk about the news of the week. We talked so much last week. We had a great conversation with Ravi Gupta about what is happening in Ukraine. And we were kind of talking as things were first starting to unfold. Um, we have a bigger picture now and a better idea of what's happening. It remains absolutely awful. I think when we talked just a week ago, 600,000 people had fled the country, 2 million refugees have now left, they are going to need so much support in the coming months and, and years. Really, this is this is going to have years-long impact. Um, for those who remain in many cities, they are facing humanitarian crises, lack of access to water, heat, food, um, Russian rockets bombarding their, their neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've all seen the news footage. I don't need to recap it, but it is... Um, truly horrifying. And as a result, the United States and other countries have increased sanctions and, you know, breaking news as we're recording this, Joe Biden has just announced that we will stop importing uh, gas and oil from Russia. Yes. Um, Just to jump ahead, uh, our call to action is going to be to continue to donate to the Ukraine, the daily cost fund that we were pitching among some other organizations last week has expanded the organizations that they are donating to, which happened to include um, one or two organizations that Mariah mentioned last week as well. So we'll have the link. We'll talk about that again in our to-do list. But um, yes, the, the breaking news is that Biden has said they are not going to be buying Russian oil and supporting uh, the, the only thing that brings money really into Russia's economy. It's a uh, long overdue and needed move. Um, it's, we don't actually 
get that much oil from Russia. So right. um, so that in and of itself is not going to have a huge impact on us in the U.S. European nations have a, a much uh, bigger dependence on Russian oil. And he acknowledged in his comments this morning that it's going to be difficult for them to do the same move um, because it would have really devastating effects on the economies of many European uh, countries. So well, I was just going to jump in and say, and I think this might be going into your next point, you said um, because we don't get so much oil from Russia, it's not really going to impact us. And I I want to dispute that a little bit and say, even if it's just a messaging thing, it will drive oil price or gas prices up. And we're, we're already seeing that. So I think the average driver, because of all the news and the fear, has already seen gas prices going up. And I think that this news will certainly increase that. Okay, yes. Let's talk about that some more because that's a really important point that you made and that goes into this deeper conversation that we want to have about communications and messaging and um, this will have an impact. Um, it will also open the door for opportunistic oil companies to open up more drilling opportunities in the U.S. And uh, and Biden even mentioned that in his speech, that there's a lot of approved um, land parcels where uh, drilling could happen and oil is there that we're not uh, exploiting right now. Um, that was chilling to hear him say because clearly uh, we – and he did – to his credit, he did – mention we need to get into renewable energies more like we need to double mm -hmm. down on our green initiatives we need to double down on electric cars and and get off our dependence on fossil fuels he did say that he said that in conjunction with ramping up fossil fuel production which is um i guess a little something for everyone which is sort of what he did at the state of the union uh, address but um mm. you know mm. there there is uh no doubt that our dependence on fossil fuels is not only destroying the environment. And all this news cycle, by the way, we, I, I think we barely mentioned it last week. If we did, the UN came out with a new climate study that said that there are dire consequences to climate change. And there's going to be some parts of the world that will literally be uninhabitable uh, as a result of our inaction. So we, we know without a, without a doubt that continuing to mine our earth for fossil fuels is destroying the planet. We also know that um, without a doubt, looking at Putin's impunity in evading the Ukraine and how the European community and the U.S., but especially the Europeans, are handcuffed by their dependence on Russian oil, um, we know what a national security problem it is to be reliant on fossil fuels. And... We know how bad it is for our economy when we see the stock market getting crushed by right. one man's actions in the and uh, horrible actions in the Ukraine, and all the opportunity for growth, job creation, and a new economy that would be bolstered by investing in green energy jobs. So, it's pretty objectively obvious. Yet there are still very, very powerful forces that will. Um, spin this and uh, and turn this into an opportunity to do more drilling and uh, exploiting of our planet and not invest in in green energy yeah absolutely uh, that that's one piece of it and then the other piece is you know as we watch gas prices go up up and up you can kind of imagine the gop sort of rubbing their hands together and saying, hey, this is going to be great for us going into the midterms because what, you know, what options does Biden have? Watch gas prices go up, deal with Venezuela and Saudi Arabia, the governments that that mm -hmm. they were, you know, months ago lambasting. Um, you know, it's it's we're in a little bit of a tough position. It's going to take really understanding like a lot of big picture stuff about this and also accepting that our sacrifice in all of this awfulness is at this point is going to be higher gas prices. We have to do this right now. We have to invest in our infrastructure for a green economy right now. If there was ever a compelling case to be made for it, we all need to be shouting from the rooftops right now because we're seeing it play out, especially the national security and the economic impacts of it right now. 
let's talk about this um, California court filing. Trump criminal charges, is that actually happening? Yeah, we don't want to let this one get past us. Obviously, the news, rightfully so, is dominated by the Ukraine. But um, earlier, uh, I guess it was last Wednesday, right when last week's podcast dropped, uh, a court. this is from the New York Times, in a court filing in a civil case in California, the January 6th committee's lawyers for the first time laid out their theory of a potential criminal case against the former president. They said... They had accumulated evidence demonstrating that Mr. Trump, the conservative lawyer John Eastman, and other allies could potentially be charged with criminal violations, including obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress and conspiracy to defraud the American people. The filing also mm-hmm. said that there was evidence that Mr. Trump's repeated lies that the election had been stolen amounted to common law fraud. So uh, tightening up around Trump, some real criminal charges being presented and – uh, that's something that we're we're waiting for, and and we'll see. But we wanted to see some meat come out of the January sixth commission, and uh, and it looks like it is. There's some new subpoenas and everything too. I'd, uh, we'll we'll have time, I think, on a future episodes as more of this uh, comes out to really dissect this. But um, it's exciting. It's good news. Anytime we're able to hold them accountable for any piece of, of what happened uh, January 6th and the months leading up to it and the months after is um, is good news. Um, this is also, you know, one of the things I love about what we are able to do on the podcast is do deep dives into stuff like this where you're sort of getting bombarded with information and then we have an opportunity to talk to a great expert or somebody who's really knowledgeable about it and get some questions answered. And that's the perfect segue into the topic that I kind of wanted to get into a little bit um, today. And it's and that's going to lead us perfectly into our conversation with Tara is this idea of, of disinformation and misinformation. And I've been thinking a lot about it lately because, again, we're getting bombarded with all of this news um, and right now it's about what's happening in Ukraine and, and what's going on with Russia. And um, it's hard to know what to believe. It gets really confusing sometimes. And I've been reading a lot lately about disinformation and misinformation. And I saw this incredible graphic that if you're on Twitter, First Draft News um, First Draft is an organization that shares tips and resources for accessing accurate info. They break it down and say, you know, disinformation is intentionally spreading false information or skewing things in a way that benefits either politically or financially the person spreading the news. Mm -hmm. Misinformation is when people like me share something that is wrong And Mm. we don't know it's wrong, but we are adding to the perpetuation of this. And I say me because I'm online all the time, just like, you know, seeing something and gasping. And I really have in the last couple of years, like it it takes me so long to to get a tweet out because I'm researching everything (laughs) around it just to make sure I learned a big lesson. And this is going to sound like kind of like a silly anecdote, but I want it. I want it. I'm intentionally wanting it to be lighthearted because I think we've all accidentally shared some misinformation without realizing it. But um, I remember during, I think it was like hurricane Sandy, there were all these like pictures and memes flying around, you know, like a funnel cloud over the Statue of Liberty and the New York subway stations mm-hmm. were filled with water and there were sharks swimming around. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. And it, like, it was obviously Photoshop, I thought. And so I posted it and on Facebook and someone on my Facebook page was like, oh my God, like they, they thought it was real. and and. I was very taken aback by that. And like, obviously that would be super scary to see if you do think that's real. So, um, so that's just to say like something that even I thought was fake, somebody else actually believed. And so we have a responsibility to be super careful about all of this stuff that we're sharing. And again, that's a silly example. (laughs) Many people wouldn't, wouldn't fall for it, but listen, there's a, a lot of people falling for a lot these there days. There are alligators um, in the New York subway, though. So that's true. What? I don't know. 
I'm just, I'm just <laughs> again, that's disinformation. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just want people to like take some, like we have action items around stuff like this. This is one of those things that in our daily lives and practices, we can have influence on. And the first thing is like, beware of what you share. And then the other piece is advocate for media literacy in schools where mm. your kids are, where your neighbors are, so that young people can learn and start to ask where this information comes from, why it was published, who published it. Um, we can all learn from that, but this is something at this point that now has to be part of our literacy from a very young age. Yeah, you're so right. And 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 you're right that this is a great segue into our conversation with Tara McGowan, because uh, one thing that we didn't get into too much with her, but is is a big focus of her work is getting civic information right. out to people because um, so many people just it, that's been lost. It's lost in schools and it's certainly not something that people are seeking out. But uh, all of this misinformation, disinformation, it's all uh, specifically designed by bad actors to erode our trust in the news and so doubt in facts. And it works. Just like you said, it's confusing. Like I, I doubt things too. I'm, you know, it makes me second guess and question like what I'm hearing, yeah. even from bad actors. And so we have to be very vigilant and very careful about what we're uh, sharing and intentional about what we share too. Tara talks about this too, and this is an action item for us. I'm spoiling our all of our to-do list, but um, it's important that we share correct, good, important information into our networks so that our networks get that. And, you know, I mean, obviously anyone who's on Twitter knows that they have added the, um, do you want to read this article first before you share right. it <laughs> kind of tag. And, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm like, nah, I don't need to read it. The headline looks strong to me. Yeah, yeah, I, this yeah. needs to be shared right now. Um, but that's that's lazy. You know, I mean, our, our attention span is so short and um, and our uh, desire to, to look deep into things is is not always there. And I get it. We're tired and we're we're busy. But the entire media landscape has changed. I'm excited to hear uh you know, the interview more and share that with people because the way we digest news is completely different. And um, so uh, I, I appreciate you bringing those topics up and, and clarifying the difference between misinformation and disinformation. Well, I mean, the, one of the things that made me think about it was, you know, with the new, even the early news coming out of, of, of Europe, um, people were saying, oh, this is, this is Putin. This is part of his, and some of it was accurate. And so now you have people who are so savvy who now don't believe the truth right? because yeah. And so, man, that's, we got a lot of work to do. That's the goal. The and, point. and, and, you know, the smartest people can fall for it. Um, yes, be absolutely. Because also the, the posts that get the most traction are emotional and jarring that gasp of horror and I've got to share this. Um, so it's, it's tough to be disciplined, but we need to take a deep breath, look into what we're sharing. There's a lot of deep fakes out there. There's a lot of manipulated videos out mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, important to be vigilant. So, uh, Hey, speaking of the media getting things wrong, <laughs> let's talk about this week's hero of the week. Um, hero of my life is Serena Williams. She's also our hero of the week this week. So Serena Williams has this, um, she's a venture capitalist just in her mm -hmm. spare time, you know? Right. And so she's raised $111 million for her venture firm to invest in founders. And um, the New York Times did an article about it, very newsworthy. And um, they included a picture of her sister, <laughs> Venus, and um, they they don't they don't really look alike. They <laughs> well, they're both that that would even they be both have the same skin color. They're, well, they're both black women, <laughs> right? So, is that like they're twins or something? So, so anyway. Serena flags this and um, shared a, a picture of the the hard copy of the, the New York Times and 
tweeted about it and said, no matter how far we've, we've come, we get reminded that it's not enough. This right. is why I raised $111 million for Serena Ventures to support the founders who are overlooked by ingrained systems, woefully unaware of their biases, because even I am overlooked. You can do better, New York Times. Um, the New York Times certainly can do better. There were people chiming in saying, Oh, it was an honest, an, an honest mistake. Come These on. things happen all the time. Let me tell you how many black women get mixed up. How many times I have been called uh, by the other one black woman's name that works in whatever office that are literally the only thing that we have in common is that we're both black women. We've all, this is a, a, a microaggression that we've all been through. It is a clear aggression when it's in the pages of the New York Times. Um, and I am so glad that she didn't say, oh, well, it was an honest mistake. Let's, let's call these things out. Like if you can't be bothered, you know, to double check and, and get the right picture. Come on. I'm now I'm getting worked up. Anyway. I know, but also the, and that nobody caught that, you know, I mean, uh, like you said, it's, it's a bad enough microaggression that happens every day for, uh, you know, black men and women all over the country. But these are also two extremely famous people. Extremely famous. She's like one of the greatest athletes of all time. Exactly. And, and and that no one caught that, that no one was like, uh, wait a minute, that's Venus, not Serena, you know, is uh, mind boggling. That's why you need me and people like me at the New York Times. There we go. Like, uh, Y'all. Excuse me. Hello, excuse me. Sorry you're busy on how we win. You don't have time to go get a cushy <laughs> New York Times job. <laughs> oh, goodness. So anyway, Hero of the Week flagging that microaggression. Thank you, Serena. Um, let's talk about this week's to-do list. I already mentioned it early on because it's worth mentioning a bunch of times. Um, we want to continue having people donate uh, what they can to the relief funds for the people of Ukraine. We'll have the link in our show notes uh, and on our website. As always, the Daily Cost Fund has expanded its recipients uh, for this fund. So you can, uh, you can split it between the International Fund for Animal Welfare, AmeriCares Foundation, International Rescue Committee, Save the Children's Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund, Raise Them for Ukraine, which Mariah mentioned uh, in last week's show also, and uh, World Central Kitchen. So um, they have raised a lot of money on this fund. Their goal is, is uh, $1.5 million. So far, they've raised just over $1.2 million. Um, and I can see it ticking up as I'm looking at their page. So um, as Mariah said, there's uh, currently over 2 million refugees who are escaping Ukraine. A million of those are close to a million are children, and they really, really need our help. And then, uh, well, you can talk about our other action, which is related to what we've been talking about. Yeah, share important and verified news on your platforms, whether that's social media or you know, maybe you send your friends an email every now and then or text people articles, stuff like that. Um, just do a little bit of research, make sure you're getting the truth out there and not playing into the hands of the disinformers. That's right. All right. I'm excited for everyone to hear this interview. And then we will be right back after it to talk about our reasons for hope. Tara McGowan is a fake news fighter launching multiple platforms to combat disinformation in American politics. She's a political strategist and the founder of Good Information Inc., Courier Newsroom, and co-founder of the progressive political organization Acronym, which launched a massive campaign in 2020 to persuade voters not to re-elect Donald Trump. I know everybody's heard of them. Tara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Mariah. I'm very happy to be here with you guys. Um, you and I have very similar backgrounds in that you were a journalist and then you got into politics. You worked um, for the Obama and Clinton campaigns. You were a producer at 60 Minutes before that. Tell us how you made the jump from journalism to political campaigns to really inventing this incredibly important niche for yourself. 
Um, gosh, uh, so I, yeah, I was going to say what we'll talk about the niche because it's, it, it, I think it's very timely just for where media is today. Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. uh, started, started in journalism, as you mentioned, I went to journalism school at NYU. I was always really, really passionate um, about, I wanted to be a journalist from a young age and I was very driven by the purpose and mission driven nature of it and kind of speaking truth to power and shedding light on corruption and all of those things that are so important for a healthy democracy. Um, and I was at 60 Minutes um, uh, covering the 2008 presidential election. Um, I was I was very junior there. I don't want to make it seem as though I was senior by any means. I was there <laughs> learning more than more than anything else. Um, but I was working on uh, a lot of packages related to then Senator Obama's candidacy, uh, as well as just the, the Democratic primaries. And I found myself just very, very swept up. I had been very kind of personally active in the, uh, you know, Iraq war protests at the time and following sort of all of everything that was happening in the Bush administration really closely and really felt that then Senator Obama was was really talking about a different kind of politics that, uh, you know, I and millions of others mm -hmm. really wanted to see in our country at the time. And so that really challenged the uh, the illusion of objectivity. <laughs> that is very much something that's uh, pretty important in a lot of uh, newsrooms and news organizations, including at 60 Minutes. And uh, and so I really felt personally just kind of a pull to, to go be a part of that, that movement um, once he was elected president. And so I kind of took the journalism hat off. I moved to DC without knowing anyone. Mm -hmm. I got, got very lucky to get a job for my home state senator, Jack Reed. I'm from Rhode Island um, as a deputy communications director and then got a, a, a job on President Obama's reelection campaign in Chicago in 2011. So that was my sort of pivot. Uh, I, I kept kind of doing all the work that I had done in journalism related to storytelling. That's what I'm really passionate about is just breaking down complicated issues and information for people and encouraging more civic participation. And so uh, to me, it's felt like a very logical in certain ways, if not very unplanned and unexpected trajectory to where I am now. But that's really been the common thread is how do we get facts and truth and good, trustworthy information in front of more people and the strange piece of it that I didn't, I couldn't have expected was just how we have to keep innovating to be able to get that information in front of people because of the changing media landscape and ecosystem and kind of attention economy we all live in today. So that's what brought me back to journalism, but in a, mm -hmm. in a very different way than where I started in journalism. You must have been um, at the NYU Journalism School right before I was there for graduate school. Really? I, I, yeah. so I graduated in 2008. So. Oh, yeah, we were there at the same time. That's so weird. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, was and I, I started as an intern at 60 Minutes and then got hired full time and made that transition. I don't like when people throw dates around because I am always on the wrong end of those dates, but that's OK. <laughs> and I don't like them as much anymore either. They got farther, farther away. <laughs> well, um, we share a lot of the same goals on our show, too. We try to do the same kind of things that you're talking about. And um, talking about innovating, you've recently founded Good Information. I want to read some striking stats from right from your front page of the Good Info website. Uh, 96 million Americans believe the 2020 election was stolen. 96 million. 89 million Americans believe voter fraud is a major problem. 264 million Americans can't name their state legislators, 109 million Americans can't name their governor, and 185 million Americans don't trust traditional media. Can you tell us how you plan to change these jarring yet not at all surprising statistics? I, I can try. <laughs> um, it is. Uh, I even get a little bit uh, breathless when I hear the stats again. Um, it's overwhelming. And, uh, it is. It's overwhelming. It's um, it's it's really perilous uh, it, for a number of reasons. I mean, and, and something that I've really strived to communicate better, having been having worked in politics for a while and no longer working in politics um, now to really focus on on this work and this challenge is to 
is to help people understand that disinformation and its impacts are a lot bigger than politics, right? We know this from the vaccination rates and the challenges mm. to get vaccination adoption with millions of Americans in this country that has prolonged the pandemic because of disinformation on vaccines and healthcare. It affects all sorts of marginalized communities and uh, where division is sowed through disinformation and oppression and oppressive actions and, and the inciting of violence. And so it isn't just about our politics, right? Or or the big lie and all the disinformation about voter fraud and election fraud. Um, it really is seeping into every single facet of our society and our humanity. Um, and that's really, really terrifying. I didn't even mention climate change. <laughs> science. Oh, right? there's that too. Science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There hasn't been meaningful action on that because of disinformation and propaganda um, that's been seeded for many, many years. So um, it, it's it's a huge problem. And where I, whenever I sort of um, get overwhelmed by the problems facing us, of which there are so many and increasingly um, in the world today, I where I find hope in, in motivation is around solutions. Right. Otherwise, I get mm. very restless. I know you guys are the same. I know your listeners are the same yeah. <laughs> to be listening to this podcast. Right. We, we all have agency. We can all do things big and small. And so that's that's what uh, gives me hope. And I and my team um, back at Acronym stumbled across a, a really simple and easy and yet effective solution to countering disinformation in a contained way. And it was putting more good, trusted news content in front of people on social media. Mm. And it was all based on this hypothesis and understanding that we had that the way media has changed and with the with the, the, the rise of social media and, and how that's shifted our behavior and so many people around the world's behavior in terms of where and how they get their information, people no longer are, a lot of people, millions and millions of people are no longer seeking out news or trustworthy information. It's coming to them mm. on their social news feeds and in their mm. email inboxes and through their friends and networks, through messaging apps and, and text messages and messaging groups. And so that's it. That's a huge shift. <laughs> that's the inverse of how the population used to consume information. They would all go to a few trusted messengers and arbiters of truth, like the, you know, the evening news uh, right. uh, anchor men and women increasingly, but mostly men back in the day and their state and, and national newspaper of choice. And now it really is about what information reaches you. And so when you understand that, you realize that who your audience is and how you're getting your information in front of them is so much more important than mm -hmm. ever before. And yet we're seeing legacy, traditional trusted news organizations like the New York Times or even the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post really prioritize paying subscribers for their business models mm. who mm. happen to be people who are still looking for that information. And that is a dwindling population. Mm. And so that has contributed in a big way to the information gap in America. What that gap has created of course, is a vacuum for bad actors and disinformation to flourish in these social media channels and spaces where, where they're able to reach a lot of people and, and influence them and their perception because it, it's going unchallenged and uncountered by all of the great supply of good information that does exist. So that's what we really try to do both at Courier, our newsroom and Good Information Inc is draw attention to this distribution problem and mm -hmm. this information divide and try to close that gap by putting good trustworthy information in different formats in front of uh, populations that just aren't looking for it. Dan Pfeiffer, um, who is on the Good Info Advisory Board, just wrote a great Substack article that talks about two new sh polls showing that voters would like the Democratic agenda if they only knew about it. Uh, there's a large gap between knowledge and support for the exact reasons that you were just talking about. And my unpolled hunch is that this gap is even wider among young people. I don't think, as you said, they're watching traditional media at all. Um, I had a conversation with uh, a college student recently, and she was uh, worried about her boyfriend potentially being drafted. And uh, 
it, it just occurred to me, like, you know, where is she getting her, her news from? I mean, that's a real valid fear because there's so much, you know, uncertainty and, and horror going on around the world. But she wasn't getting like a full picture of the U.S.'s involvement or how that's happening and everything. So, um, so I, I was just wondering, like, where is she digesting the news? Um, so where are young people actually digesting their content right now? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a great question and it's not always the easiest one to answer because while a lot of young people are getting news and information on similar platforms, primarily TikTok these days and Snapchat and a little bit uh, less so, but still important is Instagram, you're still on these social platforms living in an echo chamber, right? That right. is being, right. being curated by your own likes and interests and the people and accounts you follow. So you can you can be on Instagram and have an entirely different information environment you're living in than your friend or your cousin or your or your mm. mom. And so um, so it, it really comes down to uh, to to sort of the algorithms and how they reinforce beliefs and behavior. And, you know, some platforms uh, take the responsibility inherent in that a lot more seriously than others. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's hard. So we know the platforms where a lot of young people are spending their time and getting their information. But when it comes to the actual content and information that's reaching them there, that's really subjective to their behavior, their community, their environment. And so something that we uh, we prioritize at Courier is, is breaking through those echo chambers and doing that in a myriad of ways. Um, an unfortunate but effective way is paying your way in. Mm -hmm. Platforms have built uh, these massive trillion dollar businesses on the on advertising, on being able to promote content on people's news feeds. That is a way that you can get it in front of people who won't find it on their own or it won't deliver it to them organically. But there's also a lot of really important organic ways and free ways to do that. And that is something that I was excited to talk to you guys about and your listeners about, which is the simplest thing anyone can do, which is just share good information on their social channels all the time and not assume that other people are seeing what you're seeing, mm. even if you're close to them in real life, because it really can make a difference. And it's all about making sure that there is more of that good and trusted information that's moving online because there's such an abundance of bad information that is reaching people. And so I think, you know, in the, uh, in the, the, the poll that you mentioned from uh, Pfeiffer as uh, newsletter that was definitely making its rounds around our team today too, because it essentially builds the case for right. Courier, yeah. <laughs> our news organization in a pretty direct way, you know, the, what it showed for your listeners, if they haven't read it was, you know, that the, uh, that approval of Biden's response to Russia's invasion to Ukraine, um, it was relatively low. And then, you know, once people were introduced to factual information about the actions the administration took, mm -hmm. that support for those actions jumped 18 points. 18 wow. points. So it really is just about making sure people have the factual information. And when they do, they are on the side of these candidates and these issues, and they're just not getting that information. Such an important point you made is that I can be on Instagram and be having a completely different experience from Steve on Instagram. And so we can't make assumptions about what people have access to. You likely it's are. Very I follow a lot yeah. of fitness stuff and like tattoo stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and people know this to some degree, right? They might not think about it all the time, but it's, for instance, I have a friend, you know, who, uh, who got pregnant and suddenly started to follow all of these influencers right. and accounts about information. So suddenly her entire algorithm is about babies and parenting. And that's not what it was before she got pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. That so people know it, right? It starts to meet you where you are. Um, and that's a good thing to kind of step back and think about because it really is subjective to, to the things that you personally are doing. So knowing that when you are posting content, people who follow you, you might actually be breaking through to them and giving exactly. them they don't otherwise have. Yeah. Um, so we all have a role to play in that, which is very exciting, but you are doing this a very similar thing with courier in um 
a, a less organic <laughs> haphazard way than, you know, whatever I'm sharing on Instagram. Um, so talk to us about Courier, what states you're targeting, why, and who your audience is, is for, um, yeah. for in the, in the different states. Absolutely. Um, so Courier Newsroom is a civic news organization. Um, we have a civic mission to build a more informed, engaged, and representative America. But unlike a lot of news organizations that have a civic mission, maybe folks know Washington Post's tagline, democracy dies in darkness. Right. That is true. I agree with that. <laughs> we actually have a civic model. And what I mean hmm. by that is that we, we prioritize reaching underreached populations who are not proactively looking for this good, trusted information. Um, and we intentionally target them through paid boosting of news on platforms like Facebook and Instagram and Google search and different things of that nature to actually get trustworthy news in front of them at the local level and the state level, as well as work with uh, different influencers and experts who have a voice and a platform to break through echo chambers to reach this audience. And we also measure the impact of our newsroom's news coverage on civic participation. And mm. this is the thing I nerd out the most about because <laughs> I would love, when I was a journalist, part of what drove me nuts was that um, it really felt like your job was done to a lot of journalists once you right. published your great reporting and story. But mm -hmm. that we know that's not true. It's not done until you know that people have actually read your stories or consumed your journalism and then, you know, had that inform them or even change their, their actions or behavior. And so it's what I love most about our model is that we're solving for that last mile problem is mm. we're making sure that we know if actually having access and being reached with our news content on social media increases the information uh, retention and civic participation levels of audiences that we're reaching. And so that's something that was informed by a lot of the work we did over the years at Acronym, just measuring the impact of, of digital advertising programs. Um, we have newsrooms now in eight states. They are staffed by reporters and editors who live in the communities they serve in those states. I'm mm -hmm. very proud of that. We've created journalism jobs, local journalism jobs, where there, there aren't newspapers or news sources. And over 80% of our reporting is packaged specifically for consumption on social media and mm. through female newsletters. So I often equate it to a lot of folks know Axios or folks like us might read it, right? The reason I love Axios is it tells me how long it's going to take me to read that, read that newsletter, yeah. <laughs> right? They'll tell me two and a half minutes. And it's like, great, I've got two and a half minutes to know what's happening in the world this morning. Um, we really, we take that approach to heart with our audience too. How can they consume the information that they need to be informed and participating citizens um, mm -hmm. in, in the way that does not interfere with their life or does not ask too much of them because everyone is busy and everyone is being bombarded with all sorts of information and disinformation. That's so smart. Um, th this conversation uh, is all the more poignant right now um, because of what's going on in the world. And um, Russia, as we know, has been engaged in massive disinformation and propaganda campaigns for years here in the U.S. and abroad. How deep does that influence run uh, and how do we address it? Is it is it different than the tactics that you're using? Do we call it out differently or is, are we still using the same tactics to overcome the Russian propaganda? It's a it's and a Fox. They're they're couple. They're the same. <laughs> they, they are, unfortunately, um, more and more so um, these days. It's it's a really great question. Um, I might be. Uh, I might surprise you with my answer in this. I have um, for the unbelievable tragedy that is occurring right now in Ukraine and the loss of life, which will continue, I think, to increase given the situation that's yeah. happening. Um, it has been really inspiring to watch President Zelensky and the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people really build and deploy an unbelievable communication strategy on their own, knowing that the world would be watching. There is an active mm -hmm. war, right? We are in, there is war happening on their ground 
attacking their people and their land. And yet they have been able to take that opportunity of the world watching and really drive their position and and in and dear essentially the world to their cause and the cause of democracy in a way that I am truly, truly just so inspired by yeah. because it's um that is so unbelievably difficult because as you mentioned, Russia and Putin, I hate to also say Russia. It's Putin. You're right. You're right. Right. You know what? Because I also don't want all the Russian people who are suffering and will suffer because of their leader's right. actions um, to, to fall victim to discrimination. Thank you. Broadly. Thank so you for side, that. Yeah. Side point. But it, I'm trying to get like, let's just put like, Russia with Putin yeah. and Putin's um, people. But I, I, I really... He is, you know, he is a master at propaganda. We've already started to see deep fakes. My cab driver this morning in D.C. was telling me about the deep fakes that has been coming out of Putin and his administration. And so, mm. I mean, it's so fascinating how people are paying attention. But in the face of that and and how long they've, you know, run their government and their propaganda machine on, on Russia's side to see Zelensky and his team be able to get the Ukrainian people's story out and their pleas and calls for help and support and on behalf of all of democracy has been really inspiring. So I feel um, that is something that we could learn a lot from in the States about mm -hmm. thriving, offensive, emotionally driven factual information and communications um, when there are these opportunities, because too often I feel like Democrats and progressives are on the defense because of the right wing media in this country and their right. disinformation machine. And that distracts you. That's the point. The point is to distract you and to make you cornered and have to respond to their disinformation and lies where you have the same opportunity to ignore it and drive an offensive narrative that is factual to people uh, because people want to be on the side of good and on hope. And so I, I think that has been really um, just inspiring and something that we could learn a lot from in this country. Um, well, since we're talking about inspiring things, I want to ask you the question that we ask every guest every week. It's my favorite part of the interview. What gives you the most hope for our future? I, people. <laughs> people, everybody who's listening to this, you guys, everybody who does anything um, from something as small as sharing things that inspire them um, about their values um, and, uh, and, and, and what's at stake for our planet, for our democracy, for our children's lives, for everything. Um, I, something as simple as sharing that content, protesting, marching in the streets, um, uh, voting just across the eight states couriers in, there are over 10 million people who voted for the very first time in this country after 2016. Mm. Oh, wow. People inspire the hell out of me because, you know, they didn't see politics as a place for them. And, you know, they probably weren't motivated out of hope. It might've been fear, but, mm. but, but they, they took an action that they had not taken before. And, and th those people give me an enormous amount of hope. So I just, um, I do feel hopeful. I actually think that Democrats can win and win big in the midterms. And I, I believe that to my core. Uh, right. And I think it does such a disservice to lean on just historical data in the past right. because we're not living in precedented times right now. And so uh, that's clear from the turnout we've seen and the civic engagement we've seen since 2016. So that's what gives me hope. Well, you and your your incredible work gives us a lot of hope, and I absolutely agree with everything you just said. It's a line that I use a lot. We're living in mm -hmm. unprecedented times, so we can't rely on precedent here. So I agree. I think we can win big, and um, thanks so much, Tara, for joining us. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks for all the work you guys do. It's so important. What's your reason for hope today, Mariah? So it's Women's History Month. It is. Happy Women's History Month. Thank you. Well, so that's what I was going to say. My reason for hope is, is that people are, and to, to, well, also today is International Women's Day, but people are for a, a few years now started wishing me like Happy Women's History Month. And hmm texting or messaging me on International Women's Day and being like, 
hey, I love having you as a friend. Or my sister texted me this morning, like, Aww. hey, happy internet. And I love that this has become like a greeting. I don't feel like I'm not a historic woman. So I don't feel like I have any claim on Women's History Month other than to like recognize amazing women who have done amazing things to, to get us where we are today. But I love that Women's History Month and International Women's Day are now a thing that women celebrate one another and, and are celebrated for. So, you know, if you are, are doing something special or nice or exciting or thanking someone, thank you. That gives me hope. I love it. That's great. I love celebrating you too. So, yeah. and and I'm gonna. I'm not asking to be celebrated, but yeah, like, Mariah. Nice what's your reason for hope steve well my reason for hope has to do with something that we've been talking about a bit on the show of late and that's the opioid crisis and all the damage that that's doing to our country this week uh this is from the new york times i'll read it right from the pages members of the billionaire sackler family and their company purdue pharma have reached a deal with a group of states that had long resisted the company's bankruptcy plan a crucial step towards funneling billions of dollars from the family's fortune to addiction treatment programs nationwide the sacklers will have to pay as much as six billion dollars to help communities address the damage from the opioid crisis um, wow. This is that's some really incredible. encouraging news and some meaningful money that's going to go into treatment programs for people who are suffering. Meaningful. That That's key, that it's going to help the people that were harmed. Oh, that's so incredible. Yeah. That is a reason for hope. Thank you for sharing that, Steve. Thanks to everyone for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. Take a hop, skip, and jump over to our website at howwewinpod.com and send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com. Or, of course, you can always tweet to us. We'd like that at bluesboysteve and at mariah underscore craven. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or whatever platform you get your podcasts on. We appreciate you so much. We really, really do. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday. See you then.